Good morning. Let me also extend my welcome to you. It is a good, uh, a blessing for us to be able to be together. I was reminded this week that uh, we can take for granted, that we can just come together and worship. And this season has reminded us that that's not always something that can happen, and we're grateful that we get to. And so thank you for being a part of uh, our worship this morning. If you're a guest, we're particularly glad that you are here. Uh, please, uh, everybody, sign that black pad in your pew. It's one way of knowing who's here. Uh, but again, let me encourage us to introduce ourselves uh, to one another afterwards. Uh, somebody you haven't met before, haven't seen in a long time, uh, make the effort to introduce yourself and uh, strengthen the, the ties that bind us together. Speaking of ties that bind us together, when I was growing up in the church back in the day, what I remember is every time there was a baptism, every time there was a uh, new members received into the church, we sang the same song every time. We sang the first verse of a hymn. I don't know if any of you know it, but it's uh, Blessed Be the Tie That Binds. All right? uh, and the, I won't sing it for you, but the words uh, are Blessed Be the Tie That Binds, Our Hearts in Christian Love, The Fellowship of Kindred Minds is Like to That Above. Right. And uh, in these days, it feels like the tie that binds us together has been frayed. Uh, we are pausing in our series on the Gospel of Mark to take a look at uh, the tie that binds. We want to, to pause and to listen to God's word and to think together about what our fellowship is to be. We want to be reminded of why our sharing life together is important and to think together about what it should look like. We want to be reminded not only about how we are to live together, but to be reminded of the, of the source, the motivation for us to share life with one another. In these days, why should we bother? When the simple act of passing, that happened again this morning, passing the peace becomes as complicated <laughs> hug? Oh no, I mean, uh, it, it's awkward, right? And, and awkward to be together and to, to navigate all of that. Uh, but even more stressful is navigating the, the divisions, the conflict, the potential anger, my own as well as the other person's. We created bubbles for COVID, and it's so much simpler just to stay in the bubble, however small it might be, of people with whom there won't be any conflict. And so we are tempted to make the decision that being in a church like Blacknall is too dangerous. It's safer to insulate and isolate myself from all of that stuff. And maybe we will still come back to Blacknall, but I'm going to keep my distance from these people, not just literally, but metaphorically, keeping our distance from one another just to be safe. And so we are planning to pause on our sermon series and spend four weeks thinking about listening together about how we are to live this life together. We'll spend the four weeks looking at Romans chapter 12, one of the great chapters in all of the New Testament. This morning, we'll be looking at the first two verses. You can find it in your Bible and your pew on page 1137. Listen again to God's word to us from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. 
Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. This too is word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In these verses, Paul is laying the groundwork for what is to follow. The chapter will have over 30 imperatives, 30 commands of how we are to act, what we are to do and not do in this life together. These two verses and the metaphor of the church as the body of Christ that we look at next week are the the basis for these commands. So Paul says here in verse 1, Therefore, because of what he has told them already in chapters 1 through 11, therefore, uh, is what comes next. What he has spoken to them in this beautiful gospel leads to what happens now in chapter 12. And this gospel in Romans is indeed beautiful. I was looking this week in our denomination, we have a book of confessions, which is a bringing together of creeds in the history of the church that are a guide for us in how we interpret scripture. And one of them is the Heidelberg Catechism, written in Germany in the 16th century. is a, a catechism, a series of questions and answers to, to teach the faith. And uh, it's divided up into three parts. And the three parts correspond to the, the book of Romans. The first part is called Humanity's Misery. And Romans starts off describing for us our sinfulness. It ends in chapter 3 saying... All have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. There is none righteous. No one. All of us are sinners. Uh, humanity's misery. The second part, then, is of humanity's redemption. And that's what Paul does in Romans. He, after he establishes our misery, he then takes us to what the gospel is, that we cannot save ourselves, but we are saved by faith in Jesus Christ. And then we come down to chapter 12. Therefore, he says, because of this beautiful gospel, I urge you. And the word urge is not like, I hope you might do this, or I think this is a good idea, or here's a suggestion for you. The word urge is a strong word. It's a word that has authority behind it. I urge you, I exhort you, do this, right? Brothers and sisters, I exhort you, I urge you, brothers and sisters. And Paul is talking to us. He's not talking to me. He's not talking to you as an individual. He's talking to us together as brothers and sisters, members of God's family who know God as our Father. Our spirits cry out to him, Paul says, Abba, Father. We are united in sharing the same Father. Brothers and sisters, he says, in view of God's mercy, Paul has the authority to urge us, to exhort us, because of God's mercies. He has just been describing those mercies in chapters 1 through 11. And in view of them, because of them, our response then is to offer or present your bodies as a sacrifice, alive, holy, and pleasing to God. Let's just stop for a moment and remember God's mercies. We are together because of God's mercy. All of us, all of us, deserve punishment and death. We heard in Psalm 50 the scary words that Goody talked about. That's what all of us deserve. 
That is indeed humanity's misery. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin, what we deserve, the wages of sin is death. But we are here as brothers and sisters calling our God Father only by the mercy of God. And there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We are a people who are united by the shared experience of God's mercy. There's a sense of wonder for us as we come together. A sense of, of you too, not as in, I can't believe God would have mercy on you. <laughs> but in the sense of, I can't believe that God would have mercy on me. And you feel the same way, not that God couldn't have mercy on me, but you feel the same way about yourself. You can't believe God would have mercy on you, you too. Therefore, brothers and sisters, because of the shared experience of God's mercy, I urge you to present your bodies as a sacrifice, a sacrifice that is living, holy, and pleasing to God. And Paul uses language here that describes worship in the temple. The image is that, is that of worshipers bringing a sacrifice of an animal to offer on the altar. Paul is saying, instead of offering a lamb or a pigeon, offer your bodies as a sacrifice. Let that be your act of worship. And then Paul gives three descriptions of our sacrifice. The sacrifice is a living one. This is in contrast to an animal that would be killed on the altar. Rather, we offer our bodies not in death. We offer our whole selves not in death because Christ has already died and his blood has removed our guilt. But we offer our bodies rather as a sacrifice that is alive. God wants our whole selves, body, mind, spirit, and will, fully alive. God doesn't want us sleepwalking through life. God doesn't want us half-stepping. God doesn't want us living our lives with our nerves deadened. God wants us fully alive, awake to the pain, the sorrow, but also the joy and the beauty of this life. Let our offering of our bodies be of bodies that are fully alive, Paul says. Offer your bodies, secondly, as a sacrifice that is holy. And that is what we are. We are holy. Not because of how well we live our lives, but because of who we are in Jesus Christ. Jesus has made us holy. We are holy, sacred, set apart. We are consecrated to God. We belong to God. My body belongs to God. Calvin, talking about this passage, says there are two things we have to remember. One, we belong to God. And two, as a result... We should be holy. It is a sacrilege to take that which is holy, sacred, and involve it in that which is immoral, whether that be sexual immorality or economic immorality or immorality of the tongue or any other kind of violation of God's holy sacrifice. And then thirdly, present your offering that is well-pleasing to God. And I love this phrase. I like the translation of presenting your body as a sacrifice, pleasing and acceptable to God. Let us think about this in view of God's mercy. To whom am I presenting my offering? Romans 1 through 11 has made it clear. We are presenting it to our Father. By the Holy Spirit, our spirits cry out to him, Abba, Papa. We are with our 
grandkids, our grand twins last week up in New York State. They are two years old now. And our daughter, Nora, does a great job with them, parenting them, but does a great job, uh, particularly having them do art, do art together. They draw, they paint. Nora will say to them, show Grandpa what you painted. And they will show me this painting with really just a bunch of colors on it, right? Maybe some blue, maybe some brown, maybe some red. And Nora will say, do you like the painting of the boat on the water with the fish? <laughs> and do I say, no, I don't like because it doesn't look like anything like fish and boats. And, in fact, there are no red fish. What kind of, what kind of painting? Do I say that? <laughs> no, right? <laughs> do I give a detailed criticism of how inadequate their painting is? Of course not. I say, Elaine, that's a beautiful painting. I love the colors. Now, which one is the fish? Right? And she shows me which one is the fish. It's pleasing to me, just as our offering is pleasing to our Father. It's pleasing to me because Elaine and John have presented it to me. They are presenting themselves to me, and I am pleased. When we present ourselves to God, offering ourselves to him, God is also pleased. Not because we are perfect, but because we are presenting ourselves to him. God doesn't say, well, you sure aren't a Rembrandt, right? John and Elaine are not Rembrandts. Not yet, right? <laughs> when we get older, right, we stop painting because we learn that we are no Rembrandts. But that is not what God wants. God wants us to continually be presenting ourselves to him however far short we have fallen. Because one day we will see him, and when we see him, we will be like him more than Rembrandt's. This offering of ourselves to God is our true and proper worship, Paul says. Let me add just one more thing here. We are called to offer to God our bodies. This, just, this doesn't just mean our bodies. It means our whole selves. But it also does mean our bodies, our physical bodies. We need to be obedient to God with our bodies. Our bodies matter it's important for our bodies to be here, to be gathered together in worship. It's important for our bodies to, to kneel for confession. It's important that we eat well in ways that enable our bodies to be healthy. It pleases God when we get our bodies out of bed on time. What we do with our bodies matters. Verse 2 then tells us, do not conform to the pattern of this world. And actually, the, the verb here is in the passive voice, so it should be translated, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. And the fact that both of those verbs are passive tells us that we are constantly being acted upon. This world is constantly trying to squeeze us into its mold. Instead of being conformed into the image of the world, we are to be transformed into the image of Christ. Instead of allowing the world to conform us, we are to allow the Holy Spirit to transform us. How? How do we not be conformed? How do we be transformed? How do we renew our minds? How are we to know and to test 
and approve what is God's will? Well, I don't transform myself. I cannot renew my own mind. I cannot not be conformed in the pattern of this world by myself. And I cannot test and approve what is God's will by myself. The desert fathers discovered this when they went off by themselves to the desert to avoid being conformed to the pattern of this world, they were overwhelmed by their own sinful desire. And they quickly discovered that they needed a community of brothers to walk with them. How do we do it? We do it together. We do it together because we cannot really do it to ourselves. It is the Holy Spirit who renews our minds. It is the Holy Spirit who transforms. We do it together, which means we need one another. We need each other here at Blackno. Each one is important to this body. We need each other. We need to be together. We need each other beyond just Blackno. We need each other. We need our brothers and sisters at Mount Level and at the Bible Church. Our brothers and sisters at St. John's and at St. Joe's across the street. Your brothers and sisters at Iglesia Emmanuel and Christ Central. We need our friends at Reality Ministries. We need our brothers and sisters from around the world. We need our brothers and sisters in a little city called Beni in Eastern Congo. I hope you get to go there someday. If you go to Beni, if you go to UCBC, the university that we are involved with, each of the classrooms has painted on its walls in French and in English, being transformed to transform. This is who we are called to be, and we need each other to do this. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 to 12 says, Two are better than one, because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Blessed be the tie that binds. A threefold strand is not easily broken. God has given us a threefold strand, the tie that binds us together. It is the Holy Spirit, Scripture, and the church, the fellowship of other believers. These three work together so that we will not be conformed to this world, but we will be transformed. These three together reveal to us God's will, what is his good and pleasing and perfect will. We can't do it by ourselves. We need each other. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we give you thanks. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you that we get to call you Father, that we know you as a loving Father, a kind Father, a merciful Father. And grateful that in, as our Father, you have given us many brothers and sisters. Lord, we pray 
by your spirit, that indeed you would help us to not be conformed. By your spirit, you would be transforming us into your image and that we would be learning this, learning this well together. Caring for one another, listening to one another, loving one another. Lord, teach us how we may do this better. We offer these things to you. We offer ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen. In the Heidelberg Catechism, there are three parts, right? Humanity's misery, uh, the redemption of humanity, and the third part is simply called thankfulness. And it's the third part which describes our response to all of this, which is one of thanks. This table 